Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by somebody that I've been wanting to get on this episode for many years now. Somebody who I've got to watch grow into the most beautiful woman, businesswoman, and somebody who's inspired me in many ways to continue on my path over the last few years. And it brings me great pleasure to introduce to the audience Maria Pilar de la Peña Pili, <laughs> is what we call her. And she is the owner and founder of Peely's Kitchen. And over the years, I've watched her rise and fall many times. Mm-hmm. And I've got to see her struggle. And I've got to see her crawl and cry and bleed and laugh and succeed. And I thought it'd be really cool to bring her on just to hear her story because it's, it's a cool story. I mean, she has a lot of history in Spain that took her to Central America so with all that said, I just want to bring her on and, and we'll, we'll get right down to it. So Peely, welcome to the show. Hi, Chape. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. It's good to have you. Thanks. Um, Thanks. So with that little introduction, I mean, I'd kind of like to start just at the beginning, touch upon a little bit of where you come from and how you, how you got to where you're, you are today. And I know your parents were Basque. Mm-hmm. They correct? both were Basque. Yes, correct. And, but they had to leave Spain. For, for what reason? Because... Um, well, Franco was in the power, which was, you know, the dictator that it was like over 30 years in, in Spain. And especially it was really strong and tough with, uh, up north of Spain with the Catalans, the Gallegos, and then the Basque, which we were, uh, basically smashed to create our language, our culture, uh, because he won the civil war. Then, um, when he won, my dad and my mom, they were together. It was a gap of 20 years in between my mom and my, my dad. So my dad, he was an older, you know, guy. So he kind of uh, was very young in the war. But then uh, he, you know, through the years, he had to go every summer to jail because Franco was having holidays in my town. And thus, you know, he got very cranky about it for many years. So they decided to go to France. So wait, every summer your dad had to spend in jail because why? <laughs> Franco was having holidays uh, in our town. And but why was your dad forced into jail? Because he was from the opposite. They never oh. killed him. Oh. But everyone that he was, you know, uh, military on the other side of the, I see. You know, line. Okay. They had to kind of spend a lot of summers on jail. Okay. And it was just right in the most beautiful point in in San Sebastian where he could see he was in a palace. So on the left side and on the, and on the reta, it was the jail. So they all went there while he was in the palace up, you know, above. Okay. So uh, he did, they didn't like that. So for many years they did it until um, they decided to leave. And then it was a lot of a huge, uh, massive uh, amount of Basque living, Basque country in that time, like sneaking around, leaving the country. So they decide that it was Central America, the place that they want to go. And then they choose Costa Rica. That was back in the 60s. I, I believe it was the beginning of the 60s. So um, they left. And then um, my sister and I, we were born in Costa Rica by casualties. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And you spent your early years in, in Costa Rica, but then your developmental years back in the Basque country. Is that correct? Correct. I lived until I was, I think, 10, 10, 11 in Costa Rica. And then we all moved back to San Sebastian. Once Franco, you know, Franco died in the 78, I think. And then we moved around middle 80s, something like that. Okay. And how was that experience growing up in Spain? <laughs> uh, it's funny because... My sister, my oldest sister, feels like Central American, mm-hmm. and I feel very bad because I was, you know, I grew up in there, like when I was 11, 12, 13, blah, blah, blah. So I get drunk and funny and parties and my best friends, which they still are. 
uh, I did everything in San Sebastian, okay. Donostia. Okay. And then when did you decide to maybe leave and travel and, and start a, a, your life in the way you wanted to start it? Well, I always knew I wanted to travel. And I always knew that I was going to be different from my town because I was already different. We were born outside and then moved to San Sebastian. And uh, one of the things that make me move from my town is silly, is the weather. I never like, you know, the weather back home in winter because it's cold, it's rainy, it's windy. And it makes me, you know, sad and miserable. I was born to be in the sun and barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> and then so where was your first adventure away from San Sebastian? Okay, so I went to, actually, I went to Ireland, Dublin, for like <laughs> eight months. I didn't speak any English, and uh, I was 18, 18 years old. That was many years ago. And then I moved to uh, Dublin for like eight months. I did... Um, to do what? I was washing dishes. Like I like had you to... Were, that was your introduction into the, the restaurant business? That was my first touch, yes, correct, with the, with the people from Kashmir. Huh. Did you yes. have uh, an idea you wanted to eventually be in the restaurant business, own your own restaurant, or was that something that grew out of? I've being... seen many people that they were doing what it was my dream life, doing uh, being chefs, hospitality, waiting tables, uh, and then just moving around, just moving and growing, just moving and growing, and you know becoming who they want to be at the end. So that, that lifestyle, having that like ability to wait tables, to work in a kitchen, and then the freedom to jump from restaurant to restaurant was something that you found attractive? Well, yes. And then I had the chance to go because I didn't study back home uh, to go to college, San Sebastian, because I left when I was 18. I, I didn't want to, you know, keep study. So I went away while all my friends did their own career back home. So I wasn't ready to choose what I want to be when I was growing up. So I decided to move and travel and see. And then I started to see the people that they were cooking. They could move from one side to another one and jump, you know, with English to other places. Then I went to, I moved to um, Cambridge, England. Then I went and I did um, uh, access for other people to university. Okay. Then I went to London. And then from there, I got a grant to go on and study in Australia for five years, hospitality and culinary arts. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And that's something you had to apply for and, and got chosen. I got chosen and I applied. I worked my ass off okay. <laughs> trying to get to there. You know, I really wanted to, you know, be able to have a degree title, something that it make me um, strong in what I believe it could be my dream life. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. And so you did five years in Australia, and, and did you have a restaurant there? Did you start something there? No, I was studying full-time and working full-time. So I was just learning from other people. It's the most amazing thing I did. It was just getting information for people that I really thought it was awesome. Okay. And that was, you know, the, that's what I still practice those days, and that's what I, what I give back to the world is what I learn with people. So that was one of your biggest influences, being in Australia and, and the people it sounds like you worked with really influenced and shaped how you perceive business and how you conduct yourself in your business today. Is that right? Yes. Also, my temper, my, my well of being is I'm social. I like laughing and I like uh, people liking what I do, what I did, and I, that's what I get from other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everywhere that I was in, even when I was washing dishes with the Bangladesh people, they were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And then did you make your way back to Spain? So I was, uh, okay, so I went from England to Australia to study for five years, got my degree, did a lot of traveling in between uh, Southeast Asia, like for a year and a half or two. Like working in restaurants or mm, just Just watching, money? always watching and always wondering you know, places that I want to be. And, you know, I have still recipes that I put them today in my business from what I got, mm -hmm. you know, like things that they, like the, my bruschettas, you know. Mm -hmm. I had those like 15 years ago somewhere else. Where did you learn it? Australia. Really? Yeah. I had this, what I was to study, I kept in the same place working, which it was a place called Il Bareto. And actually I learned English, uh, Italian from Roma with them. Because they were very 
strong on their roots, which I really appreciate because I was raised up being strong on my roots and being born away from my roots, but always having it, still have those, you know, fill them deep. Mm-hmm. And these people, it was the same back in Australia. It was the second generation of Romans, and they were strong in the tradition and the family and the way they cook and the things that you can and cannot do in the kitchen. And I still follow that. Hmm. It was a great learning path. Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. What brought you back to Central America then? So I went back. Okay, so in Australia, I was five years. I ended uh, my career, my 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 college, and then it was two options for me. I could have stayed longer and get the permanent residency, but that was mean to be two years without leaving Australia. So it would be like five years kind of without going back home, Europe. I did a couple of trips in between because my mom, uh, my mom, I had to move my mom here back to my sister in Nicaragua. That's another story. And um, so, but basically I spent five years in Australia. So to stay longer in Australia and get my permanent residency, I would have stayed another two years. And then I was doubting about it. And back then I have my, one of you know, biggest love in my life, which was Juanca, Juan mm-hmm. Carlos. You remember mm-hmm. that I always talk. He's an executive chef. Now, I learned through him a lot of things too. And then we decided that it was too long to be back home. So um, that was the first time that I know I changed the destiny of my life when I chose to come back to Europe. So we did come back to Europe and then we moved uh, to Barcelona. So um, I lived there for like three years, I think three and a half years. And then I traveled to Nicaragua because my sister lived here for, you know, previous years. So I was visiting her. Why did she live here? I mean, um, how did she get to Nicaragua if, if she was born and raised in Costa Rica? Because when we left Costa Rica, my sister it was like around 16. I was, yeah, 10. She was... She, it was hard for her to adjust to Spain. It was different weather, different accent. It was funny because back in Costa Rica, we were treated like the Spaniards. And back in Europe, we were treated like the Indians. Hmm. So, and she was more like, um, she was, she was kind of an adult. I was still very easy to move. I was hum- humble and mumble to be, you know, to move from one place to another one without missing a lot of my, you know, friends. So, or, you know, my childhood because, you know, it was, it was back in Spain is what I did. And my sister was missing that. So my dad got a split back in Spain. And then my dad, actually the first time that I came to Nicaragua was 1989 when I was 13. My, my parents split. Mm-hmm. And then my dad uh, decided to come back to Central America, which he had the base of his business. And his business back in Costa Rica, he sold it. What was his business? Uh, importation, uh, exportation, importation of heavy uh, uh, machines from Germany. So he had the triangle in Costa Rica mm-hmm. to export to kind of Nicaragua, Panama. So he had those three countries. Although Nicaragua was very, very basic back then, very basic. Uh, so he thought, you know, he would sold his, you know, he sold his company in Costa Rica. Then um, it was a good idea from from moving from Spain to Nicaragua to start a new life without my mom. My mom remains in in Spain. And With it was, you, your mom remained in Spain. No, I had to. I, it's kind of complicated. So okay, my parents stay. My mom and my dad spent like twenty five years, twenty years in Costa Rica, but my mom never adjusted to Costa Rica. She always wanted to, you know, go back to Spain, Basque country where my, my grandparents were living. So um, they went back, but time passed, and 20 years in between, it was a huge gap. So neither of them, they adjust, because everything moved while they were in Costa Rica. But my mom thought that she would have found everything as she left it. Mm-hmm. And it was a big mistake, because we all, you know, it was hard for the whole family. So that was the reason, one of the reasons they split. I see. So my daddy was old enough to say, no, we got to go back to, you know, Central America where I have the basis mm-hmm. for many years and I can move and I know people. 
And then, um, so my mom went to San Sebastian. We were living in Madrid. It gets complicated. It's all right. <laughs> and then uh, my dad, my sister, and I, well, they two decided that we have to come back to Central America, so they chose Nicaragua. But then uh, my sister was turning 18 that year, and I was underage. So by law, I had to come back to Spain with my mom. I see. So, you know, one day after living a few months here back in the 18, 18, no, 1989, mm-hmm. someone came, knocked the door and say she has to go back to Spain. So they sent me back to Spain with my mom. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So that's how your sister kind of wound up here and creating her adult life here in Nicaragua. Correct. I my see. dad passed away a couple of years after. And then she remained here. I see. So. And so you coming back to Nicaragua was always to reconnect with your sister. And I think you said your mom was brought back at some point to Nicaragua. Correct. So my dad died. My sister started her life. They didn't talk for a while. And then when I was turning 17, 18, I was kind of having fractions with my mom. Mm -hmm. So that was when I decided to go to Dublin. But my mom, it was a very, uh, as I say, it was really hard for her to go back after many years to Spain, so she struggled a lot. So when I got the grant from um, England to go to Australia, I couldn't take care of my mom. It was easy for me to fly from England to, to San Sebastian if she wouldn't need me, but from Australia it was kind of hard. So with my sister, after we, we get close again, after many years, we decided that it was good for my mom to come back to Central America and be taking care of my sister that she had, you know, but that time she had one kid and another one on the way. So it would be nice for my mom to be here with her and the kids while I was studying in Australia. I see, I see. So that's the reason I didn't go back to San Sebastian when I finished to study. I went to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So I understand. Uh, you kind of made roots in Barcelona for quite a few years. You really yeah. like and love, I'd say, Barcelona. I love Barcelona. Yeah. Do you remember? I do remember, <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, But having your family here, you would come back and visit occasionally. Is that correct? Yes, I came before I went to Australia. Uh, that was 2000. Then I came back uh, 2004. And then I came back 2007, which is, you know. Kind of when we met. Correct. That was the second time that I changed <laughs> the destiny of my life. Let's talk about that changing of <laughs> destiny and how it all occurred. Like, how did you make your way out here to the this small little village I out in the middle so, of nowhere? It was so small. So um, I was in Managua on my sister's house, which I used to call it the Golden Gate. You mm-hmm. know, remember? Which yeah. it was beautiful, so I always needed to get away. So I remember one weekend, one weekend that it was my niece, which she was super young, and it was a couple of friends from Spain. We decided to drive to Papoya. But back 10 years ago, the roads, you know, it was... dirt roads and no signs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember, yes, correct. It was a a little sign saying Popoyo. But it was saying, you know, when we came on the main road, it was kind of confusing. And then it was kind of pointing on that left to go to the entrance of Gigante, Mm -hmm. which was dirt road. It was full of, you know, water and mud. And cows, kind of like now, but, you know, a little bit more rustic. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember getting into, um, you know, turning. So I changed that instead to keep going to Popoyo, which I never got to Popoyo. We turn left and we go into this beautiful, simple, amazing, nothing else that a little pulperia and GFS at the end of the beach, mm-hmm. which was the only place we could stay. Giants with Surf, folks, uh, the company that I helped found. <laughs> Correct. That was when we were very young. <laughs> and I remember um, I was sitting at, you know, on the beach waiting for the sun to come down. And that was the time that you guys were coming from a surf trip on mm-hmm. the Panga. Mm-hmm. And I remember for like two months previous, I never saw any beautiful men. I was in Managua, so it was all this, you know, chubby people around. Uh, beautiful, but different. And uh, I remember being sitting in there and then just get that feeling of, you know, a few gorgeous guys jumping on the, you know, with the surfboards and swimming towards, you know, the beach. And I was sitting with uh, Kiki. Mm-hmm. You remember? Yeah. And we were like, you know, looking at each other like, wow, this, you know, 
nice guys coming out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's how I met you. I think you were the, the, I think John was the last one to come and you were the one before John. Well, I think actually John probably wasn't even around that first time we met. He wasn't, I think you met John the second time because he, he was, he was away. Really? Yeah. So it I was... know for a fact that I met you first and we formed a friendship and then you left and then, and then months back. later came back because I had just come back from Colombia traveling oh. and you were there staying again. I was like, oh, wow, Peely's here. Like, cool to see you again. And then John was coming back as well. And that was, I think, when. That was, so it was Jared? Yes, Jared. It was uh, and Jared and Carol's husband now. Zach. Zach. Mm. Who else it was? It was a couple of uh Young kids yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, Bob. Yeah, Bob. <laughs> and then it was the ginger tall one. It yeah, was Paul. Paul, that's yeah. it, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I got to meet you first, <laughs> and we had uh, drinks and fun, and and then, yeah, you came back. I did come back because I thought Gigante was one of the most amazing places I will ever be in. And the fact that of me traveling around Asia want me to have um, the dream of living at the beach. Okay. And have, you know, a little place, a little, you know, hotel. And that was a perfect, you know, what GFS was. It was, it was the beginning of everything. Mm -hmm. I guess to really see that I could to make, you know, a dream life happening. Interesting. I didn't know that. Mm. That's really cool to hear. And my family was here too. So it was kind of, but it was an idea. It was no clear because I had a very good job back in Europe. And I like Barcelona a lot. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't sure, you know, it was like one of those movements. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So then we can quickly just skim through that portion of it where it was mm -hmm. like you, you went back to Barcelona. Mm -hmm. You started a family. You came back to Nicaragua. No, we went to from, no, we went to Hoden. So I left. John came back. Uh, we got married mm -hmm. in Barcelona and then I got pregnant. The mm -hmm. crisis was hitting. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we decided to go to have a Nietzsche, mm -hmm. uh, in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I, we moved from San Francisco to Nicaragua. Now for all those listening, Peely is the ex-wife of John Eames, episode 27. <laughs> and so that's how the connection was made there. Just so to clear that up. But yes, yeah, mm -hmm. so, okay. You had a Nietzsche in San Francisco. Correct. And then you decided to move the whole family down to Nicaragua. Well, we decided that, you know, um, uh, America <laughs> wasn't for us. Uh, especially for me, which I'm coming from Europe. So I was so used to be independent and free and walking cities that states for me is big. It's mm -hmm. still big those days. I still don't know how to drive. I still got to look twice, to, you know, across the traffic light and see if I'm doing right. Uh, so it was very, and I was, you know, I had a need. Well, I was pregnant. And so I was a little bit, you know, confused and, and fat and big. <laughs> And then we decide that it will be, you know, John always life, uh, you know, like your life, my life, like our dream. It was what we having now, right? Live in a place where we could be our own people, person, being always authentic, being different, uh, but have the life that we want. I would choose, you know, no rules, just have a business, plan it and make it happen. So we moved here because my family was close, not too close, but close enough for me to just, you know, see them. And then, uh, yeah, we go back to Gigante after and, we have a Nietzsche. Right. I remember. And John drove down. You flew down. Yes. <laughs> and that's kind of when this whole thing really started, you know, from, from, <laughs> from where it started to where it is now is like night and day. Oh, yes. Correct. Well, you know, we... The plan was that while I was in Spain, he bought that property in La Vista with Jared and Jason, I think mm -hmm. it was his name. So that was, we were going to build in La Vista, which was a great, you know, dream. It was a beautiful dream. And, um, but we were poor, all of us. Can we just talk about the details of this? Cause this is really something <laughs> I think about a lot where. The plan was, yes, they bought land, they were going to build on it, but they were going to live on this property <laughs> with a newborn and basically camp while John constructed their house for them. Which will last 48 hours. It lasted 48 hours, folks. She got there and was just like, this is ridiculous. You're going to put me in a house. It was raining. Yeah. And I remember the first, so we got, okay, 
So um, they drove all the way, like three weeks, with the truck full of stuff to really, you know, start a new life in La Vista and build up. But as I say, we didn't have money. We were, you know... And there was no water on the property. (laughs) It was was no power. (laughs) It was rainy season. And then it was in una pendiente, how you say? It was said to be flat. uh, Oh, it's on a hill. It was on a hill. So uh, we got... um, They got here. I came after three days with Anicha on the plane. Uh, We got to my sister's house. Then they kind of rest because it was a, you know, it was a hard drive from, you know, San Francisco all the way to uh, Nicaragua. And then uh, after a few days, we decided that, you know, we were ready to do the dream life. So we pack everything, and but we pack it like at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock in Managua. So by the time we arrived here, it was kind of sunset. So I remember John putting the uh, tent. Oh, it was so crazy. Oh, it was so... It, it was so crazy because they kind, we all threw everything and tried to put the tents up because the kids were needed to sleep. And Anitsu was like six months old. And Anitsu was this bundle of love that it was, she was white, blonde, and those amazing blue eyes. Super delicate. Or at least it was, you know, super delicate for me. And it was hot. And then we put the tent. And then he put the floating bed. A flavorable bed. And then we kind of like camp and try to plan where to get the water. The dogs were around. Jason and Rachel, they have Sunny Love around too. She was two years old. Uh, I can't remember who else was around, but then we, yeah, we put the camp. We threw like something to put the tent on. Then we put the inflatable bed inside. Then like three hours, you know, after midnight, the rain started to come. And the thing is that to be overfloated and full of bags, full of everything flying. And I had an itch on my, you know, my chest and I was crying and saying, John, I can't do this. And he was, he always said to me, it was one of our things, say low tide, high tide. And this is, you know, this low is low tide, t- high tide. This is the, you know, low tide now. So we got to just keep, keep together. But I was like, I was a new mom and I wasn't ready for that. So, you know, that they, he kind of sleeping there, but the bed started to lose the air. <laughs> that is an amazing description. Oh, of, it was so of a reality. This actually happened. You have a six-month-old. You're trying to start a life in a jungle with no power, no water, and it starts raining. It was, but it was, you know, it was September. September. We came here in the middle of September, and and you know, last week of September. So it was raining hard ten years ago, nine, no, eight years ago eight years ago, which was one of the heaviest winters that we ever had here. So I remember getting up the day after and saying, John, if you don't, you know, put this shit together, man, I'm going back to my sister's house in Manawa. With, I have AC, I have maids, I have one room for each of us. I have a pool, I have everything. So he was like, no, I can't let you go. Um, let's go to Gigante. So we pack everything. <laughs> I was mad at John, poor John. I was so mad. Uh, Anicha had all this rash and, you know, heat rash. And I was, as I say, I was so fragile and I thought she was so fragile that I was like, you know, so scared of her getting sick and, you know, so I was like, yeah, let's pack, you pack everything. Um, let's go to whatever you want. Just take me somewhere that I feel safe. So we went back to the beginning of everything, which is, you know, we went back to Gigante. And you got a little house. We got a little house. We got, uh, what was, how we start that one? I got you in contact with Siuna and you rented the little house with Jason and Rachel. Right. And then you were... Loic and Eva, which they left them behind. It was our French and Catalan girlfriend uh-huh. that they got the passport stolen in Mexico. They mm-hmm. were coming all the way down to, but they, they had to stay behind because the mm-hmm. Spanish uh, embassy never got Eva the passport. They arrived too that at that time. So they were having, they were staying in the tent that John wanted us to stay in La Vista, yep. just in the front yard of the little casita. Yep. And it was Jason, Rachel, Sunny Love, the dog, uh, John, 
Anicha and myself and that little casita living. Yeah. And then Loic and Ava out front in a tent. <laughs> Correct. And then, yes. And then circumstances as they be, a restaurant kind of came into your situation, a restaurant that needed to be taken over. Mm-hmm. And you had an opportunity to maybe start a restaurant of your dreams. Is that kind of correct? Is that kind of how it went? Well, the thing is, the funny thing is that I study culinary arts, but I'm not a chef. I'm, you know, I was never trained to be a chef. So with Eva and like, we start to just, you know, it was, we had to eat every day. So I start to do, you know, the Spanish food and some, we have a Steve, a lettuce Steve. Still, you know, he was around. So we start to have some salads and, you know, trying here and there. And then, yes, we have the, the chance to jump into that restaurant where we start to cook for the people, for aqua people, for... Uh, aqua is a resort. And folks, Lettuce Steve needs to be plugged right here because Lettuce yes. Steve is hands down one of the best organic lettuce growers I have ever met in my whole life. Yes. And somebody who deserves to get on this podcast. It's just hard to connect with him. And he's a beautiful individual oh yeah sometimes <laughs> yes he is actually he he you know he saved my my life with the greens because you know back then it was really hard it took us an hour and a half to go to rivers from gigante so you know the driving i didn't drive back then uh so i was we were very dependent on everyone john drove uh but it was really hard to get to rivers and it was not even Oh man, it was not even Maxi Pali back then. It right, was... you had to go to this really small supermarket <laughs> that, that had nothing, and you had to create these really wonderful dishes, which you did. Yes, we did. Night in and night out, you created really wonderful food with very little supplies. Yes, we did. And then, you know, we drove, I think, once in every two weeks to Manawa to Pricemar, which was, you know, half size of what it was, what is now, or at least the products that we get now. And then, yeah, little by little, we start to create that little, you know, dream happening um, in Gigante, in the middle of nowhere, where people would come and, you know, say to us that it was the food, it was amazing, and and the service was great, drinks were great too. It was back uh, then, um, DJ Dave mm-hmm. also playing some music. So, yeah, we start to create this little, like, family environment, which is... One of the things that I'm very proud of, of what I did is I create this, uh, welcome family places, which is now one, you know, one of my top hits in, in my place now is that everyone is welcome, but families, especially kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very cozy because we, we were all family. Mm-hmm. We were all looking for a dream, still broke. <laughs> but <laughs> we are very, we were still very broke. We were so broke. But we have this, you know, um, dream thing. Yeah, it's always about the dream, always the dream that we want to, all of us, we have a connection. It was not the same dream in between all of us, but all of us had something that linked to the next one. So we have this nice circle of, uh, of dreams happening all of the sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. You know, what you just described with that authentic family atmosphere that you originally brought into the kitchen, mm-hmm. Peely's kitchen, is something that, as you described, hanging on to and, and helped you grow this business as you have grown over the years. Can I ask how many incarnations of Peely's kitchen has there been? Um, because in Gigante alone, I think there's what, two different locations where you had Peely's kitchen? Correct. Yes. So there's two in Gigante, then you had one Peely's kitchen on the road, uh-huh. the main road. In here, yes. So that's three. Uh-huh. And I don't want to say these were all like failures, but these were just all you kind of growing this, this entity that you have to this day of that authentic yes. family style food that people can come. Everyone's welcome. You have Peely, the personality walking around, making sure that everyone's feeling good, fed, watered, happy. Uh-huh. And, but you, you did, it didn't come easy and people didn't always show up. Oh no, it was, yeah, sometimes, well, we put a lot of love. That was, you know, and it's always been one of the reasons I think, and I always say this because with my business now, I have a lot of people asking me why I don't do second story to what I don't put more tables or what I don't do this and that. And I always want to say that I want to keep it little so I can still be myself without being commercial. So we put a lot of love, a lot of energy 
in, in the places that we start. Uh, and the pure thing is that the truth is that I just want to make Bell is happy. So mm -hmm. therefore, I would just always remain on the heart, mm -hmm. which is what happened during the years. I still have people that they remember exactly the salad that they have seven years ago with a touch of honey. And that, you know, every time someone come and give me a hug and say, I dream for, you know, your kale salad for a whole year, you still have it. And I'm like, yes, and I have this one. So, you know, it's something new. And they're like, oh, no, no, I just want to have that kale. And then they have it and it's, it bring me back on time and it bring them back on time. So, you know, and they just like, it's, the, it's as usual. It's the same, same. But it's the basic of what I am is just, you know, have people, you know, belly full of love. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, I will always remain on their heart yeah. and in their memory. There's things, I go back now on, on my time when I was in Australia, when I was traveling, I still have, you know, I close my eyes. And I still had the feeling of something that I ate somewhere and the taste. Or I would just, you know, go through Bangkok and go under the bridge and get this fried chicken from this old lady, which was the best I ever had. And I still have that, you know, taste in my mouth. I want to just, I, the, all those things is what I always want to bring back, you know, mm -hmm. to what I have now. Mm -hmm. Um I keep, yeah, we kept growing. Like I closed on Gigante and then I, when I did the one in the road, that was the hardest location I couldn't choose ever because it was what it was around. But I made myself surviving for a year and a half paying, you know, my house mm -hmm. and a lot of my bills through that tiny place. Yeah. So. And when she describes folks her little restaurant that she shut down in Gigante and moved to a different location, which was out of town on this main road that was dirt. <laughs> That was a standalone house kind of surrounded by, I guess, campesino farm area. Mm -hmm. Like, it was very <laughs> rustico, like very rustic. Nothing else around. And, like, she's trying to <coughs> capture people driving past who are going to the bigger, like, developments and resorts mm -hmm. north and south of her. And um, bring into the fold, like, the kind of compassion and love that Peely has for not only her customers but for her friends. Mm. Like, Peely brought me into the restaurant because I was desperate. Like, I had, in episode 10, you can go listen to it, I had backed myself into a corner financially here in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. Like, I had nowhere else to turn. I had no money. <laughs> I didn't want to leave. I was still hanging on to that dream that Peely so eloquently described us all kind of having that desire to make this happen in any way, shape, or form. And I was fighting, I was fighting, I was fighting, but I couldn't figure it out. And Peely's like, just come to my restaurant. You can work with me. I'll take care of you. And she always did. And her, and she, I'll always remember this and I will take this into every single business that I ever create from now on, which is that if I'm making money, you're going to make money too. Mm -hmm. So if there was money to be made that night, no matter what, she put a little bit in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I was so thankful <laughs> for you. Really. Well, I have people doing the same, you know, I was, you know, I got pushed too. So, uh, it's what I say at the beginning. Everything that I learned all the years. Is, is what I try to give back to the, you know, even to my girls now in the kitchen when I, you know, they're not doing something. I'm like, this has got to go with you. This is something that I learned with someone else that I think is great. Mm -hmm. And it's great that I have, you know, I pass it over to you. So when you know with me one day, you will be able to do your dream mm -hmm. because you have tools to make it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I will always take you to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a good boss. It's just, it's a remarkable thing. I mean, that was, that was a interesting location. And I would, I would walk from Gigante to Iguana, which would take me an hour. She would then drive me to work with her. We'd work all night. Uh -huh. She would drive me back to her house and I'd walk back in the middle of the night to Igante. And that was wild times. But I can't thank you enough for letting me do that with you because that was a, a beautiful experience. It was. But so that location then ended. Well, and, and it, it ended up because, you know, I was living already here for Iniwana, Athindewana. For like two years and you know um we used to hang out what is my place now and i used to be sitting in there saying man this is an amazing place and it was nothing it was the little uh, describe the location so everyone can understand what you're talking about oh, okay so it's in front of one of the best break points uh of surf best beach breaks in nicaragua one of the best what is breaks. uh it's, it's an engate community so what happened with gigante have a lot of love and hate with the whole situation sometimes because I couldn't save the whole war or the whole gigante. So it was very sad to see poor people, you know, poor dogs, 
30 kids um, and not being able to save them all. So it was, um, it, it's my heart that I could just to help the ones that I have around, which is at the end, what is the important? I, you know, whoever was around me, I could to give a little bit so they could improve the life, like Nora, which she still, you know, after eight years and a half, she's still, she's with me still. Um, and it was heartbreaking to don't be able to, to have more, you know, medical or, or doctors around or just fixing dogs or just, you know, material for the school. So for my heart, it was hard to be in there. And then when I moved to Iwana, I'm going to call this the white ghetto. The white ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> which I keep having, you know, this is like a bubble. Mm-hmm. And I also say to a lot of people that they, you know, I meet at the my place. I say, this is no Nicaragua. This is the white ghetto, and this is a bubble, beautiful bubble, because mm-hmm. it's clean. We don't see skinny dogs. We don't see, you know, poor people. But then Nicaragua is outside the main gate, right. and that's where you can see, you know. But me living in in Gigante for all those years and coming back from, you know, to one, it was like a, a fresh breath. Like, I feel like I was like, okay, I did what I could do in, in Gigante. Now this is something new for Nietzsche also to be in a place that it was nice and neat, kind of clean. It was not many people around, so it was very safe for both of us, which were, you know, we were alone in the house. And then um, my place, the place that I have now, is just, as I say, right in front of the best break point in, I think, Central America. Can I, can no, say? you can't say that, but it's one of the best. For oh, sure. I, I think it's the best. <laughs> you still see the left and the right, you know, going on but yeah it was very few people very few people and it was nothing uh but the pool and the little structure of what is now the floor mm-hmm. and it was this little taco stand that it was on by you know uh what was the name of the big guy that died of a heart attack um mm-hmm. tracy i can't remember yeah, i'm sorry donny mm-hmm. owner mm-hmm. uh and he had a little tiny place in there very rustic uh the food was no good I gotta say, but it was, you know, something in there where you could to have a drink and it was, you know, the moving of people. I will always say, you know, fuck this place, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, let the location is top. So I learned that you need a 33% of everything to make a, a place success. It's location, it's service, and it's what you serve. So, you know, the 33%, it was in there already. Mm-hmm. So we need the other 66 mm-hmm. to make it a perfect. Mm-hmm. So I closed my location in, well, no, my contract, it was going to be over. And I had to sign, sign for another six months on this on the road. But then, uh, you know, Thomas, the mm-hmm. Viking, yeah. which he always loved my lasagna and my pasta. Uh, he kind of hooked me up, linked me up with uh, Don Niels which is a very, you know, he was, he's a big person in my life because he came one day to my restaurant and he told me, I want you inside, Iwana. So, you know, I was like stuck because that was, that was it. You know, mm-hmm. if I could have just moved locations and, and half everything through the years that I learned, put it in that little space, I knew it will take me a lot of work and a lot of hours and days working, you know, double, triple, covering cooking, uh, buying, doing, but I would, I had it on my head that I was, you know, that was the place to be. Mm-hmm. And then I got it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. And was it slow to begin with or was it right out the door just like instant success? No, it was, it was, well, it, one, I wasn't as busy as it is now, not even this site of, you know, Nicaragua it was just developed. This is four years ago, September 13th, I opened. Um, and then, um, it was a very nice beginning because it was a slow but consistent. So I was, you know, I started to do just lunch and dinner, and then we just grow up to have breakfast also. So it was a nice, smooth, slow movement of everything so we could to adjust to what it is the place now, which we know if it's something goes wrong, what to do, which would it be, you know, fast from the beginning. We would never catch up on all those little things. Yeah. So it's like... um. Um, spider net. So we start from very, very little, right? And then we just grow, 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 grow. And then I say we, because it's everyone that is in, with me in my place. This is not something, you know, that I could have done alone. The mm-hmm. idea it was, you know, my head, but I need 
all the people that is still with me around to create what we have, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a lovely jungle hiding a spot where you can have very good food, mm-hmm. very good service, <clears throat> and very good piña coladas. <laughs> yeah. And just for the listeners out there, just to give you better perspective, like, Peely has the premier restaurant in this southern Nicaragua location in this development called Iguana, where she came prior to that from a fishing village that was not private at all. It was a mixed, mm-hmm. you know, with Nicaraguans and tourists and, and entrepreneurs and expatriates trying to make a life for themselves. And she, through her hard work, was able to capture this contract with this development that now she has a very, very successful restaurant mm-hmm. that she has built with the help of others, of mm-hmm. course, but she's been the leading driver of this this, well, this I was, thing since the beginning. I was taught that you have to, to preach, you have to give an example. Mm-hmm. So if I have to be, you know, six o'clock in the morning because something doesn't go right, mm-hmm. I am there. And if we have to leave last one at nighttime, we are. And if I got to go and jump behind the stove, which I don't do it anymore, um, because I like to be outside and I still do the shopping and I buy, I buy the things myself, the meat, the chicken. Uh, we grow some greens now. Um, you know, we try to get organic, uh, eggs, milk. Um, you know, like from being all this familiar thing, it also is really important for me, the quality of food or what I'm serving, nutritionally talking, uh, on each plate. So, all my menu is balanced on, you know, Mediterranean di- diet, but with a fusion of uh, ingredients from here and also from things that I can't get in here, which is, you know, uh, imported things. So the whole, the whole idea is that, you know, that when people sit in my place, it feels like they're having this amazing balanced food, uh, different with a different service for sure because if someone asked me to put or take out something from my plates, my stuff knows that it's not allowed. <laughs> like putting, I keep saying this one, I have those amazing fish tacos and someone asked me to put away the mozzarella and put goat cheese on it and I was like, oh no, no, no. And they were like, but uh, with the clients and I'm like, yeah, but this is, you know, this is not what it is. You have to feel my experience. If you don't feel me, I will be like commercial, mm-hmm. and I never want to be a commercial. That's the way we run away from our countries. We try to do something authentic. Uh, this is the way what we have what we have because we don't follow anyone. And I don't want to become a millionaire. I like, you know, I make I make my money, but I won't change. I won't go bigger. I won't do fry, uh, French fries because the people like it. I don't do a lot of things because I want people to understand that is, you know, it's us on a plate. So, um, you hear that Anthony Bourdain come down here and experience <laughs> Peely's kitchen. If you ever get to Nicaragua. <laughs> yes. 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 Well, I mean, you know, many people measure success in different ways mm-hmm. and there's no right or wrong way, but for where I'm at in my life, for me, you are the definition of success. <laughs> you know, knowing where you came from, what you've built, the kind of money you're making, mm-hmm. you know, like you, are able to leave when you want, for example. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the expats who've been here 10 years still can't really leave whenever they want. They can't go take a vacation. You go you go to Morocco sometimes, you go to Spain, you come back. Like You've created something that is sustainable mm-hmm. and it's viable and making you the kind of money that you get to now really live your life mm-hmm. to the Correct. extent that you want to live it without having to compromise for a client who wants you to put fucking goat cheese on a <laughs> taco that needs to have mozzarella on it. <laughs> well, right. A lot of people say, you know, but I have money. And I look and I'm like, this is not about money. I have money too. Mm-hmm. So, but this is not, we, we're not about money in this place. This is, you know, like the view, the place, the seating, the hammocks, the drinks, the pina colada, the wife in front. For example, I don't have Wi-Fi in my place and I won't ever get Wi-Fi because I want people to look each other, talk, share, go and enjoy the wave, send the kids to the sun. Uh, I won't put TV screens to watch, you know, surf videos. Um, I want people to talk at the bar. Um, I want, you know, I want people to communicate and feel like it's a lot of people that they spend like two weeks and I see them breakfast, lunch and dinner and they're like, this is like home. I feel like, you know, I leave my towel in there. I leave my things in there. I go to the pool. Then I send the kids to the 
to the sea and then we come back and it's every single time is something unique coming out of that kitchen and the smells, the garlic or, you know, we have days that people are like, what is that smell coming out? And I'm like, we do jars of, you know, garlic with olive oil. And then people, you know, we throw on the, on the pot and it's just this crispy, you know, mm-hmm. goldish thing that it comes out your nose. And it's like, I'm still, you know, sometimes I, I, we bake the bread and everyone is like, is that bread? And it's like, yeah, that's the bread that we bake every day. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a very cool place to go and hang. It is. It is. <laughs> now, you know, there's a lot of listeners out there who I'm sure want to have a little restaurant on a beach just like you. Is there anything that you could impart advice-wise, some wisdom you could give us throughout the <laughs> years of experience that you've been doing this that could help somebody maybe make that first step out into the world? Well, I think, you know, as I say at the beginning, my dream it was to have something somewhere at the beach where I could to go barefoot and feel the freedom of what am I doing. So I always say if you have a dream and you know that it's right, just go for it. Whatever it takes you, it knock you down, but then get up. Because, you know, life will knock you down to give you a lesson. Whatever is the lesson, we don't know if you're going to learn from that lesson now or in five years. But just if you think that you're doing right, the most important part of everything is do good with the people that you have around and then it will come to you right. So you can can follow in that dream and keep, you know, consistently. Consistency is something, you know, and hard work. And always keep um, diversity and keep growing as a person. But having that dream always, you know, in your head. So the idea of your dream, it will be always there and then you can accomplish because... You know, I've been low, 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 and then I'm, I'm, I'm up, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to be, you know, in there. And I feel like, wow, there's a lot of that, you know, things that we've been going through. I won't change anything that I had in my life, good or bad. I won't, I won't change anything. That's the truth. Um, I would maybe just, you know, adjust a few, you know, episodes of my life, unless you know things. But I won't change anything. I won't change anyone that I met. I won't, I won't. I won't change anything, you know, not even living in Gigante, which is, you know, the hardest thing I ever done. If I survive in Gigante, man, I can survive anywhere around the world. But, um, yeah, just if you have a dream and it's a dream coming through your heart pure, just follow it. Just go in there. Just keep having like, you know, I say I pull things like a mule. You know, when the mule is just pulling and pulling mm-hmm. and pulling and it's just, you know, that it goes right, but it's heavy. And then it's they have focused something on the head. That's what I, you know, that's what I did. Consistency Consistent. and hard work. Yeah. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> I love you. I love you, Chaib. <laughs> I love you so much, mm. man. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.